space was breaking. I've just about got some left, and hopefully the Lord will, will use it to communicate something from His Word this evening. I said I was going to make sure I finished by 8, and I'm looking, and it's only 5 past 7, and I think, well, I've got 55 minutes and a 10-point sermon. Uh, boy, I'm going to have a good time tonight, but rest assured I'm not going to preach for 55 minutes. Uh, in my mind, I have a time when I'm going to finish, but I'm going to keep that to myself. Uh, when that might be, and pray that the Lord will, will take us through this very important topic. This morning we were looking at spiritual health, and particularly health within the church, looking at various points from the book of Thessalonians, and looking at points that, that uh, were characteristics of a healthy church. This, morning, this evening what I want to do is to look at the topic of assurance, and uh, pray that the Lord will speak to us if we are a Christian, that he will encourage us, and cause us to rejoice in the fact that we are saved, and if we are not a Christian, or we are not unsure of our standing before God, that the Lord will either convict and convert us, and that uh, every one of us may leave this place knowing that it's well with our soul. And really that's the desire of my heart, that the Lord would speak to us from His Word. I do want to thank you for your prayers for the work at Nidre and for prayers for my wife and I. Very much appreciated. Uh, I always enjoy coming here because people seem to be genuinely enthusiastic about the work at Nidre and say that they pray for us and really do appreciate that. Nidre is not an easy place to minister. It's, it's quite difficult, uh, different standards of morality. So it's nice to come back to some kind of normality when you come back to the chapel. Uh, so I really do appreciate your prayers. One specific prayer I would really impress upon you, if you pray for nothing else or misery, pray for this, that the Lord would show us what we are to build upon this new piece of land, uh, how we are to build. He's given us the land he wants us to build. Pray that we'll know his mind in all this and that he will lead us on in, in the development of the work. Now let's read together from 1 John 5. I'm looking at this morning, I looked at the whole book of 1 Thessalonians, 1 John chapter 5, uh, you'll find it on page 1228, 1228, I can never get used to handing out numbers uh, to you people, you're intelligent folk, you can look this up and find it, uh, but 1228, if you're not used to the scriptures, you can look this up and find 1 John 5. Let's read together from verse 1 through to verse 13. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. This is love for God, to obey his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and the three are in agreement. We accept man's testimony, but God's testimony is greater, because it is the testimony of God which he has given about his Son. Anyone who believes in the Son of God has this testimony in his heart. Anyone who does not believe God has made him out to be a liar. 
because he has not believed the testimony God has given about his Son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. And then we read verse 13, which is basically the text for this evening. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. We'll end our reading at the end of verse 13. Let's come before God asking for his help. You may not need his help, but I certainly do. Let's pray together. O Lord, we delight to be in your presence this evening. It's good for us to gather together with brothers and sisters in Christ and to sing hymns of triumph and victory. But Father, we thank you most of all that our fellowship is with you. We thank you that many of us tonight have come to know you as our Lord and Saviour. We have not just assented to a doctrinal belief, but our hearts and our minds and our wills have been transformed by the regenerating power of your Holy Spirit. We are not the same. We've been born again by your Spirit. We are a new creation. And Father, we rejoice greatly in this. And Father, we pray as we come to the Scriptures now, we pray if there are any who are saved, that we might rejoice and that we might leave this place with a song in our heart. And Father, we do pray for those who as yet are, are perhaps still living careless lives and who are not have never really considered your claim seriously or your son seriously. Father, we pray for them. We pray, Lord, that you would speak to them. We pray that the Holy Spirit would come in great power and use the words of, of, of the preacher, the words that are consistent with your word, the living word of God. And Father, we pray that you would challenge and convict each one of us. We ask all these things in Jesus' name for his glory. Amen. Turn with me, please, to the book of 1 John once again, and we're going to start from chapter 1. <clears throat> Before I went into the ministry, uh, the Lord called me into uh, full-time Christian ministry when I was about 25 or 26 or so. Before I did this, I was an electronics engineer, and I really enjoyed that. One part I really miss about that is uh, not just the salary, uh, but... The, the traveling, I got to travel uh, to Canada and America and mostly through Europe and I just enjoyed airports. I think ever since I was a youngster I always enjoyed airports. Airports are fascinating things. But if you ever go to an airport, uh, you'll notice that there are sometimes two categories of people. There are those sometimes who have arrived with their seat books and their tickets already in place. And you can usually tell the difference between them and, and those who haven't because those who haven't are, are, are standing, fidgeting, smoking and, and pacing up and down and trying to charm the, the person behind the desk to get a, a, a ticket on this flight. Perhaps they're a businessman and they're, they're so active, they're just jumping from place to place. The rest of us are more organized and, and we can sit uh, with like, this group of people here and just laugh and read the newspaper and we can talk and so forth because we have our ticket, our seat is booked and the rest are just running around in the hope that they might get a, a seat on this plane for their next meeting or just to take them back home. As I was thinking of, of that, I was thinking that of using that uh, as an illustration. Many of us, if you're here this evening, perhaps it's because you're a Christian or at the very least it's because you're religious. Perhaps you believe that there is a God and 
perhaps you do believe that when you die there is something beyond the grave. There's, there's more than just death and that's all. But perhaps you do believe in a resurrection where you will stand before God. But perhaps you're not sure of where you stand before God, whether you have a ticket as it were. Because you meet Christians and if you know them very well, they're like these people who are sitting here and, and they're relaxed and, and they seem to be very confident about where they're going and what the Lord has done for them. They, they, they know they have a ticket, as it were, and they will gain entry into heaven. Perhaps you meet other Christians because there are four basic categories of people. There are those who, who think that they are saved but aren't. Maybe this is you. They are those that we think are saved and aren't. And that could even be members of our family, and that's quite a worrying thing. There are those who are saved but don't act like it or don't really enjoy their salvation. They're, they're wondering if they have a ticket, as it were, and, and they're hoping, but there's still doubts in their mind. And there are those who are saved and they act like it and they're rejoicing in the fact that they are saved. They are enjoying their salvation. It is very possible that you fit into one of those four categories this evening. Maybe you're saved and you can say to me, John, I know it's well with my soul. I know I'm saved on the, on the ground upon which I'm saved and if I die, I'm going to heaven tonight. And there may be some of you who are still uncertain. There may be some of you who think you're saved and you're not. And that's why I want to study this book of 1 John. In this book here, John gives us various tests uh, there are, I'm going to give you ten of these, and I'm going to go through them fairly quickly. I specifically chose ten, and don't be frightened by that. Uh, I'm not going to take ten minutes on each one, and we'll be here for a hundred minutes. Uh, I'm only going to spend two or three minutes on each one, and we're going to go through them fairly quickly. But in your mind, there may be one or two that the Lord may use to convict you, to say, you know, I don't know anything about that, that test that, that John mentions here. I know nothing about it. Or it may be that you say, yes, that's me. I know that I am saved. And the Lord would have you rejoice. Because notice that Jesus, our Heavenly Father, the Apostle Paul, whoever, not only wants us to know uh, that we are saved, but that we rejoice in it. That we really rejoice in the fact that we are saved. God wants us to know this. He wants us to rejoice in this. There are many reasons why many people don't know. Even though they are saved, perhaps there's a high standard of holiness preached from the pulpit and people think, well, I can't reach that, and, and you wonder if you're saved. Perhaps you feel a strong pull of the flesh, you're always sinning, and you really wonder, boy, am I really a Christian, and so forth. And perhaps God is, is putting you through various trials, and you just think, well, perhaps I'm not saved. Maybe the Lord just seems to be having it in for me, and so forth. Many reasons why you might doubt if you're really a Christian, and with, whether you can be assured but in this book here, in 1 John, John gives us tests. And right at the very end, as I mentioned our key text, he writes this letter and he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. God wants you to know that you have eternal life. And the other side of the coin, he wants you to know that you don't have it if you don't have it this evening. And therefore, I want you to examine your own hearts as we look at these tests, as we look through this, to see whether we are really going to heaven, to see whether we can stand before God and know that God accepts us. So let's run through the, the ten of them very quickly. 
and uh, you really need to grab the ends of your seats and just try and come with me in this. But we're going to go through and you can just tick them off in your mind. The first thing is this, the first test is this, and you'll find it in chapter 1, verse 1, uh, sorry, verse 2 and 3. The first test is this, and they're always put in the form of a question, are you enjoying fellowship with Christ and the Father? Are you enjoying fellowship with Christ and the Father? There is the verse in 2 and 3, the life appeared. John says, we have seen it and testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And here is, here is a statement. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son. And I want you to know that we word is. John is not just taking people back to the times when he walked with Jesus and says, yeah, there was a time when I had fellowship, which just basically means sharing. There was a time when I spoke with the Lord and so forth. John never knew the Father in the same way as he knew the Son, Jesus Christ. But he says our fellowship is with the Father. In other words, he says that part of being a Christian is that we have a personal relationship with God. We share with Him, we talk to Him, He talks to us. It's one of the things that sometimes gets up non-Christians' noses because we seem to speak with such confidence and we use language like, the Lord spoke to me this morning and this upsets an awful lot of people because they think, how, how do you know God? But it's as, it's as real as that. We have fellowship with Christ. 1 John 5 verse 1 says, everyone who believes that Christ that Jesus is the Christ, is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. In other words, Christians love God. They love God, and they love his Son. There was a time when they didn't, but now they do. They have a relationship with the Father. It wasn't long ago you heard a testimony uh, from this pulpit, more than one. And in any testimony, you'll often hear people describing their feelings when the Lord came into their life, the joy, the peace, the, the security that they just felt, the knowledge that God loved them and gave them a hope and a purpose in life. And they rejoice in this. You remember Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly or have it to the full. And that basically means that, that when we become a Christian, the life of God is poured into us. Henry Skugel wrote a book, The Life of God and the Soul of Man. It's a great wee book. I have to get a copy nowadays. But it's li literally that. What happens you when you become a Christian? The life of God is poured into you. The love of God is poured into our hearts. We know God. We love God. We have fellowship with God. And that's all I want to challenge you with in this first test. Can you say this? Our fellowship is with the Father. Verse 3. Can you say this? Or when you listen to other Christians, do they seem to have an intimacy that, that's just lost in you? That you pray to God, but really He's so distant, and you don't know if He's really there? Or are you aware of the intimacy between yourself and God? Sometimes He rebukes you. He leads you and He guides you in your life. He's very real to you. Do you have this fellowship? And that's what it means about being a Christian. It's not just about doctrines that you believe. It's a personal relationship that you enter into with God. And that's why we love to preach the gospel, because that's what we are offering people. Not membership of a church, but a personal relationship with the one who created the heavens and the earth, the one who knows you by name, 
and the one who wants to be a big part of your life. Do you have this fellowship? Secondly, are you sensitive to sin? Look at verse 5, moving on down to verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. Now what is the gospel all about? The gospel primarily, or the message of the gospel, is not primarily about you. It doesn't begin with you or begin with me. It begins with God. And it begins with uh, a knowledge of God that this God is pure and holy. This God in whom there is no darkness, not an ounce of darkness at all. He is pure light. No blemish, no sin, no ignorance. He is, is perfectly pure and spotless. And then you move on to verse 6. If we claim to have fellowship with him, we've just covered this point, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. That's a very fundamental truth, that God is pure and holy, utterly pure and holy, no darkness in him at all. And yet many people uh, seem to be oblivious to, to the fact that, that they can walk in darkness and think that it's still well between them and God and that God doesn't matter about these things, these things that God will just overlook. And that is not the case. And that is why whenever we preach the gospel, we need to begin by preaching the sinfulness of man. Before you can rejoice in the fact that you're saved, you need to know what you're saved from. You're saved from eternal punishment. You're saved from a lost eternity, as they say. You're saved from exclusion from the presence of God and are brought into the family of God. And that's why we rejoice. But until you see what you're saved from, you will never really rejoice. And therefore, if somebody claims to have fellowship with God and isn't sensitive to sin, you have to ask yourself, do they know anything about this God who is pure and this God who is holy? Look at verse 7. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And I want you to note that we have fellowship with one another. That one another re relates to us and God, not you and I. Sometimes it's quoted in out of context, but the one another relates to ourselves and God. And the blood of Jesus Christ is and cleanses us from all sin. It's in the heart of the believer tonight to want to walk with God and to please Him. To want to walk with God and to please Him. The worst thing that can happen to a Christian is that they sin. It breaks their heart. It, there's nothing saddens them more when they ruin their testimony. I remember as a young Christian really letting the Lord down publicly. Uh, when I had an opportunity to testify that I was a Christian and I never took it out of fear of persecution. And boy, I went mourning for days. Uh, really, I felt I'd lost my salvation. I just felt I was, I was cast from God's presence because I disappointed Him. And I want to challenge you in the second point. Are you sensitive to sin? Or are you happy to, to live your life regardless of the Word of God and it doesn't matter a jot? Are you happy? I used to come to church on Sunday nights before I was a Christian for many years, and then I would go to a nightclub right afterwards in Glasgow and feel a bit virtuous because I was there. I was at church, you know, and none of these folk were at church and actually felt quite good. But that was me doing my own thing, uh, writing my own rules and regulations. 
until God made me sensitive to sin. Are you sensitive to sin? Does your sin affect you as you realize it's against the holiness of God and that God uh, cannot stand uh, sin and so forth? Are you sensitive to sin? Are you aware of a spiritual battle? Thirdly, are you obedient to the Word of God? Look into chapter 2, verse 3. We know that we have come to know Him. John says, how do we know we've come to know Him? How do we know that we are saved? If we obey His commands. Now, nothing could be simpler than that one statement. Are you obedient to the Word of God? Now, this involves not only the act of obedience. I remember before I became a Christian, trying to be a Christian, trying to obey and to live a good life and failing very uh, successfully, uh, just getting things wrong and saying, well, I'll just try harder the next time. But a believer wants to be obedient to the Word of God. They are sensitive to sin. Now, this doesn't just involve the act of obedience, but the spirit of obedience, a willingness to obey, not just in letter, but in spirit. And God calls us to more than just a legal obedience, but an obedience that comes from a changed heart. You often sometimes hear of Christians saying, well, or people saying, so when I become a Christian, do I need to give up A, B, C, D, and E? And the worst thing you can do is, I think Lloyd-Jones said that, is, is, is to give people a big list of rules and regulations before they become a Christian. Only when your heart is changed and your heart of stone is taken away and you have a heart of flesh, will you have the desire to really please God and mourn when you displease God? I want to challenge you. Are you obedient to the Word of God? Not through sentiment, but through obedience that comes from your heart. Is it your desire to obey the Word of God when you read it? And it's the longing of your heart to do it. Do you obey the Word of God when you come across a verse or a teaching? Lord, I want to put that into practice. If, it, if that's the case, then rejoice. You have come to know Him. You know the Lord. Fourthly, do you reject the world? Do you reject the world? Verse 15 of chapter 2. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father, John says, is not in him. If you love the world. In verse 14, if you go back into verse 14... Paul is writing to various groups of people here. And he says in verse 14, I write to you fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you. And you have overcome the evil one. The devil has created uh, an order. Often when the Bible uses the word world, uh, in many instances it talks about the cosmos, the, the, the government that... that that Satan rules over in that sense, and, to, and it shows itself in various godless philosophies, false religions, and so forth. So when John talks about not loving the world, he's not talking about a globe or a sphere or countries or geography. He's talking about the attitudes and beliefs that most people in the world hold to, that there is no God, and that you die and that's it, and you eat, drink, and be merry. Those type of philosophies and false religions. And if you're a Christian, you do not love the things of the world. I mentioned Pilgrim's Progress this morning. If you, if you read that at all, 
you become aware, as I was saying, that, that you're passing through this world. You're going to a celestial city. You're going to a place uh, far better than this. And, and if you have three score and, and ten years here, that is a blessing from God. But ultimately you are passing through. And one day we will stand before God. We reject the things of the world. We recognize, yes, material things, they come and they go. And we do not place our hopes in them or our hopes in false teaching. We reject much of the world's system. And that's a sign that you are a Christian. That you are not so worldly-minded, gaining possessions and running after this teaching and that teaching. Christ has placed within us a new desire to love him. And that's the saddest thing is sometimes as Christians we fall. Yes, we fall. And we are more materialistic than we like to know or like to admit. And that's Romans 7. Sometimes we fall and we like to do certain things, but the flesh is always strong and it seeks to pull us down. But I want to ask you, do you reject the trinkets of the world as as a means of satisfaction, as a means of fulfillment, its philosophies, its standards of morality? And do you accept God and his word and embrace them as the truth that comes from God? If you do, it's a sign that God has done a work in your life and that you're a Christian. Perhaps you're not. And you're still wanting God but wanting the world. And you're neither one nor the other. Fifthly, do you eagerly await Christ's coming? This is certainly a sign that you're a Christian. 1 John 3, 2 and 3. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what will be has not yet been made known. But we, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. I simply all want to say to you, is it the joy of your heart to meet the Lord, that one day you will see him face to face? Three things here, John says, he appears, we see him, we'll be like him. Is this not the desire of your heart to be done away with sin? The sin that so easily ensnares us and entangles us and brings us down. The sin that causes us to to discourage our wives and our children, the sin that that mars our lives and our families. We eagerly await his coming. And if I could tell you tonight he was coming tonight, would you not rejoice? If I told you he was coming tomorrow, would that not thrill your heart more than anything else? Is that not the greatest desire of your heart? To see the Lord, for he's done so much for you. So what have we said? Are you enjoying fellowship with Christ? And with the Father. Do you know that intimacy? Are you sensitive to sin in your life? Are you obedient? Is it the desire of your heart to obey God and His Word? Do you reject the world, recognizing it as, as offering nothing? And do you eagerly await Christ's coming? Sixthly, do you see a decreasing pattern of sin in your lives? Do you de- see a decreasing pattern of sin in your lives? What is salvation all about? Salvation is not just about what God does for us by sending his son to die on the cross, but salvation is about what God does in us. Remember the book Henry Scougal, The Life of God and the Soul of Man? He changes us. He, he places his life within us, the very life of God in our soul. And this changes us. Jonathan Edwards wrote a, a book called Uh, The Religious Affections, excuse me. I don't know if you've read this book. It's a a Banner of Truth edition, this one here. 
And Jonathan Edwards was used in Edinburgh, in Edinburgh in America, in one of the greatest revivals of all time. And the concern of Edwards in writing this book was this. There are many people who were claiming to be Christians. And certainly I've seen this a lot in Northern Ireland when there was missions galore and, and people were professing faith and, and you were looking for evidence of this because by the fruits you will know them. We have a right to look and say, well, if you're a creation, if you're God's workmanship, we expect to see certain things. And these things we're looking at tonight. But Edwards recognized this. There were people who were professing, yes, I'm saved. I've given my life to the Lord and I'm going to heaven. And Edwards was concerned about this. So he wrote this book as a defense of true conversion and also to expose false converts. And basically he summed up the whole book in this. And here, here is a quote. This sums up the whole book and he says this. The supreme proof of a true conversion is holy affections, zeal for holy things, longings after God, longings after holiness, desires for purity. You get what he's saying? Longings after God and a desire to be holy. That is the mark of a true man or woman born of God, that they want to be holy and to please God. And then he says, as the principal evidence of life is motion, so the principal evidence of saving grace is holy practice. And here is, is, is a test. When Jesus came, he came to destroy the works of the devil. And part of those works were the works that the devil had in you, where you were disobedient to God, not interested in God, enemies of God. But now you love God and desire to please him. And the desire of your heart, if you are born again and as a creation of God, is to be holy and to live to please him. And there's not many of us can say, I am holy. How many of us can say this? But it is the desire of our heart for practical holiness. If the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. And part of this freedom is breaking the power of sin in your life. Some of us, it takes a long time to get the victory over certain sins. For me, it took a long time over certain sins. Uh, I just held on to particular types of music, I think it was. I, it just wasn't wholesome. And, uh, and as you grow in your development, as you become more and more sanctified, more and more like Christ, you should be changing. Sanctification is a, pro a process. Do you see this in your life? Growing more and more like the Saviour over the years. Do you see a decreasing pattern of sin in your life? Seventhly and simply, do you love other Christians? 1 John 2, 9 through to 11. 1 John 2. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. Go back to verse 6. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. This is a very simple test. If we claim to be a Christian, we need to be Christ-like. We need to walk as he walked. If we claim to follow Christ, if any name suggests this, we are a follower of Christ. And one of the basic 
practices of Christ that, that if you know anything about Jesus, he loved people. Outcasts, sinners, publicans, prostitutes. He loved people. And if God has done a work in your life by his Holy Spirit, it will show itself in love for one another. Jesus says, by this will all men know that you are my disciples. Not Charlotte Chapel's disciples, or, or some denomination's disciples, but his disciples, if you love one another. It's a practical test to show to the world that you are really saved, that you are a disciple and a follower of Christ. Do you see this as evidence that you are saved, that you love other Christians? We're not just talking about some feeling of sentiment that, that just looks at somebody with a big cheesy grin that would make you want to run a mile uh, or shake hands to the person next to you and tell them that you love them, which seems a bit strange at times. But a sacrificial love that goes out of your way to, to give financially, to give of your time, to, to show concern, to, to weep with them, to rejoice with them. You love other Christians. They are your brothers and sisters in the Lord. You remember Peter when he denied the Lord three times. The test that, that Jesus gave to Peter was say, he says, do you love me? And he says, you know that I love you. And Jesus says, well, feed my sheep. Love my sheep. Tend my sheep. If you love me, if, you, if you're a Christian at all, show it. It will show itself in a love for one another. Do you love other Christians? Eighthly, do you experience answers to prayer? 1 John 3, 21 and 22. 1 John 3, 21. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, and hopefully your heart is not condemning you up until this point, we have confidence before God. If you can say to this point, Lord, I, I, I know in part what the preacher's saying. I can testify about the work that he's done in my life. Lord, I'm different. I know you. And I try my best through your Holy Spirit empowering me. Your heart does not condemn you. You have confidence. And then it says this. Does not condemn And receive from him anything we ask because we obey his commands. Note that. Because we obey his commands and do what pleases him. It's one of the things that, that sometimes startle a non-Christian. If you ever prayed with a non-Christian, they're, they're always impressed. And I use the word impressed by the, the intimacy that you seem to have with God that they don't have. They say, well, can you pray for me? I really don't know what to say. Uh, they, they can hardly say grace for a meal. They simply don't know how to speak to God. And that's a sign that, that, that they're probably not a Christian. Uh, they don't know God intimately. But, but you, you pray. You know God. And more than that, that God seems to answer your prayers. I have two, two daughters. Now, if kids in the street ask me for something, I have no obligation to them. I have no tie to them emotionally or any other way. I might just give them a cut around the ear and say, go and beat it. <laughs> but my own kids, I'll say, Certainly. When it's, when it's the right thing that they're asking for and I have the money to be able to buy whatever they're asking for. But a desire to give them things. They, they, they have every right to ask me for things. I'm their father. It's something that sometimes, even as Christians, we think, well, our job is just to grin and bear it. I tell you, if you're a child of God, you should be seeing answers to prayers. 
Perhaps it's because you're disobedient, as, we says, as it says here. But if your heart doesn't condemn you, and your heart is, is bursting to overflowing tonight and you're saved, then ask yourself this. Do I receive answers to prayers? It's very simple. You are a child of God. And if you are a child of God, and there is no barrier between you and God, God will hear your prayers. You may not always answer them the way you expect, if you don't pray in his will. But you really do need to see a pattern of answered prayer in your life. I want to ask you and challenge you, have you prayed for somebody and seen them come to faith in the Lord to experience what you've experienced? Have you seen somebody who's gone through great trials and difficulties, been helped and strengthened? Have you known leading and guiding in your own life, been strengthened, being enabled, being comforted by God as you have prayed? Many things we can be praying for. Do you receive answers to prayer? That is a great sign that you are a children of God. A non-Christian, for them it's a lottery. It's, it's, it's literally that. It's, they have as much hope as, as receiving answer to prayer as doing the lottery. In their mind they think, well, I'll try. And, and they pray and they don't really expect an answer and they just go in their merry way. But you and I know that God hears. We want God to answer. We expect God to answer. And many times he does. And that's a sign that you're a Christian. Be assured of your salvation. Ninthly, do you experience the ministry of the Holy Spirit? Are you still with me? Two more to go. You're bearing up well. 1 John 4, 13. 1 John 4, 13. Here's another test. This book is filled. It just wants to let us know that we're saved. We know that we live in him. Verse 4, 13. And he in us because he has given us of his spirit. Couldn't be more obvious. The Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. You ever try to explain that to somebody? What it feels like to be a Christian? It's the most frustrating thing. You try to explain to them what it will be like if only they will come in faith and place their trust and get rid of the sin in their life and come to God and what it will mean for them. Uh, you'll have this peace and this joy and you just realize your words are just so inadequate. Because you can't begin to imagine what it's like when you experience the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Where the Spirit just comes. I, I, for years I searched for God until God convicted me of sin in the Kelvin Hall in 1980. And the minute I left at that meeting, there was a big meeting in the Kelvin Hall, nobody could tell me that I wasn't saved. I was saved. I was a child of God. And that was the Holy Spirit. That wasn't a minister. That wasn't a book that I had read. That was the Spirit of God. Although there was many things I didn't know, I knew I was saved. I knew that it was well with my soul. And that is the work of the Holy Spirit. He, he, if you've experienced salvation and a love and a joy that passes understanding, that is the Holy Spirit. You are saved. If you can say with all your heart that Jesus is Lord... That is the Holy Spirit. If you read the Word of God and it lights up, I remember one of the greatest verses ever discovered when I became a Christian was, up until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask that your joy may be full. Boy, that, that was like a blank check. I just, oh, suddenly, as if God had just sat next to me and said, John, you've been praying, but you've never really prayed, but now ask and you will receive. And suddenly there was this intimacy between God and I. That was the Holy Spirit. 
Whenever you read the Word of God and a verse lights up in you, you just know it's God speaking to you. That is the Holy Spirit. Do you experience the ministry of the Holy Spirit? Or is, is for you reading the book, uh, like reading a commentary in Leviticus, is, is just, just lost on you completely? Or do you read this and suddenly things begin to light up? We have one or two people in Nidri who are reading the Scriptures for themselves. They are reading the Bible. But you can tell that there's not a light on in their mind. that They can't understand it. They're reading it faithfully. Every morning, probably more so than some of the Christians, reading it. But there's nothing there. There's no spark. They need the Holy Spirit to come and empower them. Do you experience the ministry of the Holy Spirit? Peace, joy and love. Have you seen spiritual fruit in your life? Is God using you in serving Him? That's a sign that you are saved. Lastly, and with this I'll finish, can you discern between spiritual truth and error. 1 John 4, verse 1 and 2. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. Every false religion violates this test. The test is this. They undermine the truth about Jesus Christ. He is not the Son of God. He is a godly man, and so forth. And any other religion they go wrong in this. They may have many things in common with Christianity, but this is where they, they wander away. They have a different spirit. It is not the spirit of Christ. And one thing that happens when you're a Christian, even a Christian for, for a few days, is the Holy Spirit indwells you. And there is this knowledge that, that something just isn't true. It's not 16 ounces to the pound. If there's 16 ounces in a pound. Or is it 14? 16 there's something not true. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit. If somebody came into this pulpit and said something that just wasn't right, particularly about Jesus Christ, the hairs would stand up in the back of your neck. You would be, I'm going to have a word with him. Or that's not true. It just doesn't ring true. And that is the Spirit of God that places within us an ability to discern whether something is right or whether something is wrong. We have the ability to test the Spirit's to know what is true and what is false. True believers will listen to the truth. They come here every Sunday. They believe this to be the Word of God. They rejoice in singing praises to Jesus because they know it to be true. I want to ask you, do you have this ability? Or is everything for you still? You don't know what you believe. Nothing is clear. Everything is just there to be accepted or rejected. Or in your heart and in your mind, do you know there are truths about Jesus that are non-negotiable? He is the Son of God. He is the only Savior of the world. Apart from Him, there is no hope for any of us. We trust in Him and His death on the cross. We have, tonight, we have looked at ten characteristics of a healthy Christian. Or indeed, of a Christian. Somebody who is enjoying fellowship with God the Father and with His Son. There is an intimacy there. God is not far removed. 
They are sensitive to sin in their life. They feel their sin. They weep over their sin. They desire to be obedient to the Word of God. They recognize that the world has nothing to offer them and they reject the world. They long for Christ's second coming. And though they're not perfect, they they see God doing a work in their life and a pattern of sin is gradually being eroded. And they're getting the victory in many areas of their life. They love other Christians. Their prayers are being answered. Not maybe as many as they would like, but they are being answered. God is hearing and answering their prayers. They experience the ministry of the Spirit in their life. They love the Scriptures. God is blessing their ministry. He's leading them and guiding them. And they're able to discern between truth and error. Now, if this is the case with you this evening, John says at the end of this book, I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. There's no need for you to fidget tonight and wonder if you're saved. Like the people at the check-in desk, you have a ticket. Your faith is your entry into heaven. Faith in the finished work of Christ. John says, we write this to make your joy complete. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God. May it be the case that we have confidence before God this evening. Let's close our time together.